recording. <laughs> so welcome. This is episode number, which episode is this? What number are we at, Shane? Uh, is, this, is this 11 or 12? I, I'm losing track. Yeah, I believe it's 12 actually that we're on now. So, and uh, we're going to have a, a bit of a chat and then I think we're going to talk about uh, astronomical logging. I, I, I really had hoped I'd, I'd tee up like a chainsaw or something here to run, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the blogging we're going to talk about today. But uh, how is the uh, how's the Takahashi seventy six working for you these days? Really good. Um, it is just a fantastic telescope. It is so crisp. It is such a joy to use. Um, you know the the light weight of it makes it a joy to mount. And I've read this before about higher end telescopes how they kind of punch above their aperture yeah i gotta say i feel that with this 76 millimeter like i just the the image scale and the the detail that i'm able to see on the moon um, and a little bit of venus here as it's uh, you know getting narrower uh in in terms of its crescent um it's just it is so good um yeah uh the only complaint i have is the weather hasn't been too great lately no. so i haven't been able no, it to use it as much as i would like yeah yeah. Yeah. Sort of on, that's actually a good point, you know, and it's one of those things that I would hear of and kind of be attracted to when, when I was getting started in astronomy so many years ago now, but one of them uh, is this business of, of some smaller scopes seemingly uh, outperforming. And I believe anyway, that there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that, uh, well, of course, uh, or maybe even a few reasons. One is that the, the telescopes are smaller, have less mass and they cool faster. So a cool telescope is, going to provide uh, better images than a larger uh, telescope that's still cooling down because those heat waves coming off, they, they really impact the crispness of the image, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like if the telescope optics are not acclimatized to the outside temperature, um, it doesn't matter how good of a telescope it is or how good your collimation is or any of that stuff because it just, the views are not going to be all that great. Yeah. And uh, you know, one of the other things is that it's uh, it's a little easier, I think, maybe to make a higher quality, very small telescope than it is to um, make a larger, uh, inexpensive telescope. Right? They might cost the same, but sort of by by millimeter inch of aperture, you're you are paying more for these smaller instruments for sure. But that quality, um, in my experience anyway, and I think I think you and I have kind of run some comparisons on this between. Um, fairly expensive optics and uh, and less expensive optics, and when you have that higher quality, what happens is that um, the seeing uh, the atmospheric disturbances as they enter the telescope uh, are less amplified, or maybe another way to put it is through through optics that have more uh, errors and and aren't as well corrected. Um, in my in my experience, anyway, they seem to amplify any kind of bad seeing uh, that is in the atmosphere or cool down that's left in the scope. I don't know if you've kind of experienced same or. I, you know, I, I, that's one that I haven't really paid a lot of attention to, but you know, I, I can understand why that would make sense for sure. Um, one thing about just my ex, you know, experience with equipment is a lot of the refractors I've used in the past would be considered a little bit of a faster refractor, you know, in that F five to six range. Yeah. And you know, this Takahashi's a seven point something. Um, and you know, that, that helps a lot too, in terms of, um, you know, the optic, it's easier on the optics. It's easier to produce a really good optic, the longer the focal length is. And 
you know, doing some research and reading about my passion or interest in, in uh, classic telescopes is there's a belief that, you know, a longer focal length telescope with the depth of focus that it provides allows you to kind of overcome some bad seeing uh, mm. than what you'd be able to with a, um, like a faster short focal length telescope. So maybe that's part of it too. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure, because if you, if you think about with the longer focal length telescope or longer focal ratio, maybe is, is what we should be saying, yeah. um, you're, you have a longer sweet spot where the telescope will come to focus. And if you think about that bad seeing or, or disturbances in the atmosphere that cause what we call bad seeing and almost like the atmosphere pulsating, um, a pulsating atmosphere is going to pull you in and out of focus. And if that sweet spot is longer, um, then you should, theoretically, you should just notice that less, right? Because it has more room to move, um, you know, with, within your optical trains that you don't need to uh, refocus. And you're going you're gonna to maintain that sort of sharper image for longer periods of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just kind of so, makes sense to me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So how's your journey going with First Light uh, with your new telescope? Yeah, it's a little bumpy um, because, <laughs> of course, um, you know, I haven't been able to to get two brings and uh, you're in a similar boat. Um, mm. And so what what we did is I lent you um, my, my TAC clamshell that fits yours and, and one of the telescopes I have. And then uh, you were able to get up and running and then sort of fortuitously, our, our mutual friend, Mike, he lent me his clamshell for the TAC uh, 100 DC that I just bought. And, it, and that fits beautifully. However, it's really strange how you're supposed to mount that to a dovetail rail. Um, it's only got one M6 threaded hole in the bottom of the TAC clamshell. And so when I, when I attempted just to uh, attach to my, my Vixen dovetails using that, of course, it just kind of you know, droops, right? I mean, it's, it's unusable. It's not, it's not like the telescope or anything was at any risk, but you know, I put it up, I thought, well, it kind of works the way I have it, uh, set up with my, with my uh, little uh, dovetail rail that you have. Um, but I kind of screwed it on really tight. And I think because that dovetail rail is so short and it's always going to sit pretty much on axis with the, uh, with the Aldaz mounts, it's not a problem. Um, but with this telescope being, uh, just about, uh, twice the weight, uh, and you're not going to be right on axis with with a longer dovetail, and and that's kind of how I want to use it. Um, it just kind of starts to rotate around, which I had always kind of been concerned about, and had read some stuff online, and had never experienced the issue with the with my little tack the way I have it set up there. But that won't work with the larger tack at all. <laughs> like, mm. it just didn't work. Yeah. Just too much weight. Yeah, too much weight, and I think it's a combination of both the weight and the uh, and being off that that mm-hmm. sort of uh, Aldaz axis. Like if it's right on axis, then you're you're not really introducing another, um, uh, I guess, axis of rotation. And so as soon as you have that, you're done. So that's that's out. Um, so then um, I was messing around with it. I think I got a spot where maybe I should still be able to get it mounted up and test. Uh, mode, but I'm a little concerned about that. So I did post online and, and a few people wrote back and, and it's kind of funny, like you would think like, so this is a a clamshell that goes around the telescope instead of tube rings. And it's got a variety of bolt holes on the bottom. 
and there's two standards in rails to attach um, either your rings or, or a clamshell mount like this, essentially attaching the telescope to your mount. And then um, there's two formats of rails that, that you can attach your rings or clamshell to, and, and that's the Vixen or the Lasmandy um, formats. And uh, I think these ones are, are more or less designed for the Lasmandy format. And it's strange because they've got two other holes. They're just open holes. And apparently you're supposed to get um, this larger 516-18 uh, set of bolts to pass through those. And then you can thread in through um, from the telescope side into the rail versus on the Vixen uh, side of the rail, you're coming in from the back side of the rail and going into the clamshell towards the telescope. Apparently, it, it, it seems odd to me that you would need to go two ways, right? Why not just recess the bolts and then just pass them through that way and then just have the, uh, the clamshell threaded for, for those on, on that side. But it's odd, the clamshell isn't threaded. It's just, um, they're just holes. You're just supposed to pass through there and then, and then bolt into the, into the rail. It, it's, it's pretty confusing. And if you dig around enough, you can find, Sure enough, like lots of experienced people that have had had this problem as well, but it's it is super frustrating. Yeah, I was talking to my wife about you know both of our challenges uh, of finding rings or you know slash clamshells to mount our telescopes and how challenging this is becoming. And uh, I said, it's I never would have guessed this. You know, the hard part should be getting the telescope not the rings to mount the darn thing, but yeah, here we are. So yeah. Um, and, and even with like, so the, you know, you're, you're using my, um, my ring. And again, like I, I've, you know, I wasn't a fan of these rings and I think I'd even mentioned that like sort of, you know, kind of getting out in front of this in the podcast, even where I'm not a big fan of the Takahashi clamshells because, you know, like people always say, well, it shouldn't be a problem as long as you kind of bolt it on tight, even if it's just one bolt. Um, but then right away, I experienced the problem with, with this, this new one. And, um, even if, even if I get these bolts, I, I have a set in the mail, uh, apparently, and, uh, they should get here tomorrow or the next day. And, and then I'm going to, going to see if they work, but I'm actually not convinced that they're either, uh, you know, gonna, gonna thread in properly or what, like, and the odd part is that looking on, like I bought, um, and all this is brand name, high quality stuff, right? It's not like we're, we're not cheaping out here, man. Um, but the, the, um, Lasmandy plate, uh, that I have, it's a Lasmandy brand, um, which is also the format for the other style, but this is a Lasmandy branded Vixen format. And when I looked at their specs online, they say it's a 516-16, which, and I don't know much about this stuff. Somebody told me, you know, sort of schooled me a bit online and said, well, the, the dash number is how many threads per inch. And so that would require 16 threads per inch. Okay. Yep. So I'm like, great. Like, sounds good to me. Like, I don't really know anything about this stuff. These threads per inch, right? I'm you know, uh, a, a tech guy and, and a philosopher, not a, not a, not a, not, not a home builder or any kind of like handy construction style person at all. I know you're much better at that stuff than I am. So then I started looking and there's no such thing as a 516-16 that, that I could find anyway, maybe if you had it like custom made and then kind of looking around and I post, I can't remember it was a post I read somewhere or somebody replied and they're like, Oh yeah, that's just a, uh, 
a typo on the last Mandy plate site. And I'm like, well, for, like, you know, like, could the, you know, could this be any more challenging? Like, here I am just trying to sort this out yet. Um, even on, even on a manufacturer site, Mozmandy is, is a well-known reputable, um, producer of, of, you know, high quality telescopic parts, but, uh, but they made some sort of typo there. So, so that's been its, its own challenge. Um, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see when the, when these bolts arrive tomorrow, I am a little bit reluctant to, to try to do much in, until they arrive and they'll either work or they, or they won't work. But, uh. I did talk to a couple more telescope stores about trying to source rings and uh, you know, sometimes I don't get, re you know, it's, and it's during this COVID-19 pandemic and I realized, you know, there, there's a lot of bigger problems in the world than whether Chris Kamount is telescope or Shane Kamount is telescope, but um, yes. it, it really is super frustrating. You know, often they don't write back or they write back and say, um, like uh, when I talked to one company, they said, oh, like we can sell what we have, but we can't make anything. And that seems to be a little bit of a theme because for whatever reason, there's either been a run on product or just due to, you know, social distancing and that and I'm happy people are staying safe in that. But um, it seems really weird that like not many places would, would have stuff in stock. So um, kind of what I'm hoping is that these bolts work and that Mike, who I believe Mike bought the parallax rings some time ago, and that's kind of where I was getting a bit confused over who had the parallax rings. Now I can remember it was you or Shane, or you had them on order or what. But um, uh, what I'm kind of hoping is that the bolts that I have coming tomorrow work, and then I can just, uh, you know, maybe talk to Mike again. I did give him like four pounds of shrimp as thank you for, for loaning me the tack. <laughs> with uh, clamshells. So maybe my, my good gesture. He did not want to take the shrimp. I, I don't eat shrimp. I just don't care for it. I'm more of a lobster person myself. So um, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that uh, that he will just l let me keep it at least until the, the end of the pandemic if, if I can't get rings sorted out. So trials Crazy. and tribulations. Uh, <laughs> you know, I guess the moral of the story is, um, you know, when you go down some of these paths, expect some challenges occasionally. Not everything comes together nicely with a bow. <laughs> yeah, well, I've never, I've never had, I don't recall, I've never had a telescope work out of the, out of the box, so to speak. Um, not that I can ever recall. So sometimes it's been my mistake. Like when I bought my first Takahashi and I talked to Wayne at Feather Touch, and he told me I should go with this focuser, and I said no, I want that focuser, and he's like that's not going to work. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it will work. And I talked to this person online and they said, this is the one that I have and it works perfectly and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, great. And I got it. It didn't work. It, I was not uh, able to reach focus. It was, I didn't have enough out focus by like maybe eight millimeters or something. And so I had a two inch and I thought that's no problem. I have a two inch extension. I'll just use this for those eyepieces. And that was the two inch extension all the way in was too much it was just like maddening so ended up sending it back to to wayne and he you know rejigged it for like 90 bucks or something so it's it's the most expensive lightweight feather touch he's ever made because i didn't listen to him in the first place and that's fine you know like you, you can run into stuff like that but but this which is seemingly just a very simple thing 95 millimeter tube rings apparently unobtainium at the present yes, yes. So, so yeah yeah, we'll see how see how it goes. Yeah, so I really haven't been able to do um, that much stargazing uh, 
at the present time. But, but the good news is if I can get the tag clamshell to work, then uh, I'll probably just use that. And instead of um, spending my money on tube rings, I'll, I'll have uh, some budget left over to actually maybe, maybe do a mount upgrade or, or something like that earlier than later. Oh yeah, right on. Yeah. So do you want to go in? Uh, you have anything to add about that? Did you get out observing last night? Were you observing last night or? No, no, we, we had some other plans and it was kind of cloudy early on. I'm, I, I know it cleared. I don't know what time, but no, I didn't go out last night. I had one short session earlier in the week yeah. um, with the moon and uh, the new Takahashi. But this time I, I went without the 1.7 times extender. Oh yeah, uh, just to see what the telescope does in its native configuration, and uh, you know, it was fantastic. Uh, the moon was probably, I think, like ninety-eight percent full moon, so yeah. um, a little less contrast, you know, along the Terminator at that stage, but still uh, great viewing, and I was really impressed. Yeah, well, again, I don't, I don't think there's any point in you buying the the extender because you can certainly live with it. Um, I mean, it's like you're not really uh, hampered at all by not having the extender. And then for those, whatever, like particular instances where for whatever reason you want one, like I've got it right. And the only time that I really use it for the most part is when I'm teaching my class or like some other sort of particular circumstance. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't make sense. And this is, I think a rather expensive item in my opinion, anyway, I, I forget what they cost, but it's not inexpensive. And I, I just don't think it's, it's worth it for you to spend the money on that. I, I would, you know, much rather you uh, spend the money on me, you know, yeah, for, hey, some know. shrimp. Maybe I'll get you a bag of shrimp. Yeah, Give me some <laughs> shrimp. Give me some shrimp. <laughs> Excuse me. So, so yeah, so there was, there's that. Um, let's see what else am I, what am I also up to these days? So I'll tell you, I've been, I bought, you know, I like books. I, I read, I guess I'm the reader out of the, the two of us. Um, and I've been reading this uh, visual lunar and planetary astronomy book by Paul Abel or Abel out of, out of the UK. Okay. And, and how do you uh, like it? Yeah. Well, this is one of the Patrick Moore practical astronomy series. And I'll tell you, I have other books uh, from this year. I'm not going to knock anybody. You know, when you put out, it's like anything, when you put out a lot of anything, there's going to be um, some that are really good and maybe some that maybe aren't quite as good. Um, but I'll tell you, I think this is the best one in the series. So, Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, and how I, and I can't recall if I'd even heard of it before, um, but I was on the sketching forum on Cloudy Nights and I saw some sketches by uh, Paul Abel. And, um, and I, I believe I recalled his name, whether, whether I actually did or not. I thought, oh, I think that guy was actually on the uh, Patrick Moore uh, Sky at Night back, um, you know, when, when Patrick Moore was, was running it before his death in 2013. And, uh, and uh, Paul's sketches are phenomenal, like just beautiful, beautiful sketches. Um, and as you know, that's something that, you know, I've kind of taken up in, in recent years. And I thought, well, you know, um, he's a good sketcher. He's putting this stuff out. Maybe there's a few uh, items I can I can pick up uh, in this book, you know, because you kind of get to the point now that we've been doing this for decades, where um, you know uh, you, you've kind of learned a lot at this point, <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, and it can be uh, it can be more difficult to find a, a text that will uh, that will teach you as much after you do this for for this long. However, this book is awesome. 
and he explains stuff. Um, now he, he does talk about sketching and, and some other things in this. And, and I think that is uh, more of the focus of, of the book. Um, but he also just explains like the observation of the planets and it has some of the best diagrams for explaining what you're seeing uh, in, in the night sky with regards to the planets that I've ever seen. I haven't seen it explained as well. Um, and that wasn't really in the reviews or anything. So uh, even sitting last night uh, on the sofa as I was reading this, I, I said to my wife, I said, this is really a good, like this is really good. Um, and I have hundreds of astronomy books, as you know, and I think this is one of the best books that I've actually read on astronomy. Um, yeah, it's not a beginner book. This is definitely, you know, getting into to more of the advanced stuff, but I'm reading stuff that, you know, I kind of knew and stuff about like, uh, you know, you'll, you'll read things like, or you hear things like, uh, you know, inferior conjunction and superior conjunction and dichotomy and all this stuff. And I kind of more or less know what they mean, but, but the way he explains them in them with these little diagrams, just beautiful, just perfect. Right. I'm like, Oh yeah, that like really, that's a great way to show it and explain it. Um, and I'm not going to get into all that. And it's, it would be very difficult to do with it, a diagram, like in a podcast. Um, but if anybody was interested in, in observing the planets, I, I would definitely recommend visual, uh, Lunar and Planetary Astronomy by Paul G. Abel from the uh, Patrick Moore Astronomy Series. I think it's just a perfect book. Yeah. So wow. that sounds really good. I just added it to my Amazon wish list. And uh, would you say, uh, like, I know you're a paper guy, I think, for the most part. Yeah, I've got like physical yeah. books. Do you think this would translate okay onto a Kindle or do you really need the paper edition? Well, I don't really buy ebooks very much. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Only when I only when I can't get it, but I mean, you know, I mean, go ahead, you know, buy buy the Kindle edition if if you're someone that that likes to read on uh, on a device. I just really I use it as an opportunity just not to be reading, not to be spending more time in front of a screen. A and then B. Sometimes you know, and and we've talked about this before. Even though you're you're more of a, a Kindle user or something, there's some books, and maybe this is what you're referring to, that you just want to be able to maybe take out into the field or have. Uh, close by when you're observing and then when you have those bright screens that can be a that can be a bit of a challenge uh, yeah and well in some some books are great reference books whether it's diagrams or sketches and I find like a you know a kindle or an ebook doesn't doesn't translate well to like that type of reference material you know because it's nice to be able to flip open the book to page 182 or whatever you know to find the information you're looking for quickly and then off you go um, but the thing I do like about the Kindle is when we go on our, uh, you know, camping trips to dark skies, um, you know, I can bring all of Burnham's celestial handbook, uh, all three volumes, you know, on one little Kindle, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Um, now just kind of like flipping through it really quick, like just so you know, um, he does have a lot of really good, um, diagrams showing like some of the planetary detail and stuff. And, and the, he actually has a really good moon map in here as well. Um, Looks well. It's a hand-drawn moon map. Just looking really quick. Um, doesn't really say. Oh yeah, it was from uh, somebody in the British Astronomical Association uh, drew this, and uh, it's quite nice. Um, whether whether or not I would use that at the eyepiece, I don't. I don't know. But uh, but just like the information in the book, um, it's excellent, top notch. So definitely okay. uh, good. good to know. Yeah. Um, 
and, and in the ping pong style of this podcast where we really never have a plan and we just start talking, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I, let's, let, maybe let's stick on this topic of books here for a little bit. Um, again, you have a, in a, you know, an incredible astronomy library. Um, when it comes to atlases of the sky, um, how does interstellarum rank against some of the others like Uranometria, uh, the pocket, uh, Atlas from Sky and Telescope. Um, I don't know any of the common ones. How 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 do you like them? Which one's your favorite? So so I believe you just bought the Interstellarum. Is I it? did, which yeah. is kind of selfishly why I'm asking. Okay, yeah. So this is a a another star atlas or another work by a guy named uh, Ronald Stoyan. I think is his name. Is, am I right there? Is you are right. Yep. Okay. Because um, I'm just you, just pulling this off the top of my head because you only just told me this uh, virtually before we started our, our recording. Um, I love everything Ronald Stoyan has done. I think he is phenomenal. Um, Again, like hits it out of the park. And I think he hit it out of the park with uh, Interstellarum. Um, he has a, a couple other books out there as well, or uh, start with the Star Atlas. The one that I, I, I have Interstellarum, and I think I have the, I think I have the Field Atlas as well. Um, I think so. And uh, is this the one that has the pink cover? No, no, that's the guide. Oh, okay. uh, the this guide. is the, the full on Deep Sky Atlas. The, but the Field Edition has... Um, uh, spiral binding and I think everything's laminated so that it has a little or not laminated but like a different a different style of paper. Yeah I think and so. is this blue? Is this one of the blue cover? Well it looks black on Amazon but oh okay hard to hard to say. You did you already have a copy of this atlas? Not interstellarum. I have the field guide. Oh, oh okay yeah so so I or, or I have, the yeah the the pink cover I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have both copies and whatever copy I have, it has, um, well, I have the pink copy, which is the field guide or whatever it's called. And then I have the, uh, the actual atlas itself. My, mine has the sort of, um, it's almost like a powder blue cover to it. Now I, I bought it when it first came out because i like I said, I really like Ronald Stoyan's work. Um, he did the, um, Cambridge photographic atlas, I believe as well. Oh. Okay. okay. I forget who he did it with off the top of my head. Um, however, I, I think that that Cambridge Photographic Atlas is awesome. I think that's really good as well. And what they did is they did photographs of the whole night sky. And they have on, on sort of the one side, they have a negative. And then they've traced in all the constellations and everything and some of the brighter deep sky objects. And then on, and I shouldn't say that, a lot of deep sky objects and a lot of sort of off-Broadway or, or unusual objects, like objects that typically aren't included in star atlases. And then on the, the other side, they just have the image. Um, and I don't really use that as much under the night sky, but I love to sit and look at it. Like when we're down on the grasslands in a dark sky site, you'll often see me out with that book during the day. I just love to look at it. It makes me want to do observing. And the other thing with that book is that um, the images aren't of the sky naked eye or unaided without any optical aid. They're about um, magnified about three to five times or like a really low power binocular view. So it, it is a little bit zoomed in, maybe like what you get through a finder scope. Mm, okay. And uh, I think it works well. I, like if somebody just described that to me, I would have thought, nah, why didn't they just do it like naked eye or whatever? But 
the way they did it, it, it works well because you get just enough resolution to kind of really start seeing things, which, which is often what you get through maybe like a five or six power finder or like those really low power binoculars that we made up. It's perfect for those, right? So, um, but back to interstellarum, how does it compare to uranometria? I honestly, I don't think I've even used uranometria. I shouldn't say that. I, I've used it three times or four times since I got uh, interstellarum. Um, I think that interstellarum is, is the best atlas currently available. It is not inexpensive though, unfortunately. Um, I think you said you get it on sale for how much? Well, $118 Canadian, um, which the regular price is uh, 280. Um, Amazon does weird pricing. You know, I, I don't know if it's like a supply demand thing, but a couple months ago, uh, like, so I have interstellarum in my wish list, and once in a while I pop in to see if there's any deals, especially if I'm, you know, trying to, uh, get free shipping and I, you know, I only have a $5 item. I'll see if there's, you're not a prime member. I'm not, no, (laughs) you know, I remember life before prime. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, well maybe one day, you know, when I grow up, we'll see. Um, so a couple months ago, interstellarum was on sale for around the same price, like $120 and I hemmed and hawed and, uh, you know, a couple of days passed. I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go buy that. And it was back up to the full 280. So, yeah. you know, opportunity missed. Um, and the other day I was ordering some little spray bottles for $14. So I thought, ah, I wonder, <laughs> wonder how I can get this up to $35 for free shipping. Yeah. And I saw Interstellarum was on sale for 118 and, you know, didn't think twice. Yeah. That's looking forward to grabbing it. Yeah, I think when I bought mine years ago, I, I was around the 150 or so, and uh, well, well worth it. Well worth it at 150 even. Um, but yeah. yeah, you can get it on sale like you did. That that's that's an incredible price. Yeah. Yeah, primarily what I've used in the field, and you know, you've seen this a hundred times, is uh, the Sky and Telescope Pocket Atlas, which is a very inexpensive atlas. Um, you know, I think you can purchase that for probably around twenty dollars Canadian. Mm. And it's great. You know, it has a lot of uh, objects, like a lifetime really worth of objects plotted in, in that atlas. It's, um, you know, it's small enough that you can have it at the telescope in your hands and it, you know, it's not going to really bother you. So it's a good reference there. And because of the inexpensiveness of it, you know, if it gets soaked with dew or, you know, the corners get frayed because, yeah. you know, things go bump in the night, um, I don't really care, you know. So I've really enjoyed that one. Uh, the only issue that I maybe have with it, and we've discussed this under the night sky, is the scale of yeah. the of, yeah. of the, the charts just seems a little bit off. You know, like how it plots distances between, say, bright stars just doesn't seem to translate to how they appear in the sky. Like, I always feel like uh, the sky atlas plots things closer than they really are in the night sky. But it's yeah. still very workable. Like I, I, I still use it a lot. Yeah. So the uh, the pocket atlas um, is is the atlas that I, I always recommend to beginners uh, who take my class or you know when we're meeting new new people out under the night sky doing sessions or whatever because um, I think it's pretty inexpensive. Like around twenty five bucks or so, and you're getting a lot for twenty five dollars. And now they have a jumbo atlas, a jumbo pocket atlas. So um, now. The thing that I always find so so humorous with astronomy, it seems, is is you can never judge a book by its cover. And I think it has the worst cover with the best content, right up there with <laughs> binocular astronomy by Craig Crossan. 
probably one of the best books written on uh, observing with binoculars. The cover looks like something you'd see in the children's section of, of a library. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, I'm just not a fan of the cover. Everything else is like 11 out of 10 on the, on the scale of quality it is so, so good. Um, yeah. But a lot of these, these texts, even interstellarum cover on that, B minus. I mean, it's just not a great cover. So you can never judge these these astronomy books by by their covers. Typically, um, the content uh, is what you really need to evaluate them on. But the um, the thing that separates the Pocket Atlas from most other atlases is that it is small and easy to use. A and B, they actually drew in the lines of the constellations. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's that's typically not. Uh, a standard protocol. I actually believe Interstellarum does that as well. Um, and it does help us, uh, you know, even at, at this sort of stage in, in my uh, astronomy journey, um, it's helpful. You know, you, you, you can see those, those familiar patterns. And, you know, usually now, even if I just see the, oh, it's those two stars and that's that part, like it's really, it really makes for faster uh, orientation on where I am in a constellation and maybe what I'm trying to look at. They're a little bit, um, they're pale in the interstellarum, but, but they're there and it's helpful. Um, yeah, I think, I think they did an excellent, excellent job on that. Yeah. A lot of pages though. Um, yeah. I almost yeah. wish they had, had figured out a way to do it with maybe 20% fewer pages. So a lot of flipping. That's, that's my only criticism of it. Really. My, my hope was when they released the jumbo pocket sky atlas that they've would increase the amount of information on the pages to reduce the amount of pages and reduce the amount of flipping. Mm. But I believe that one, they just like, everything is just bigger. So it's easier to read under a dark sky. Um, but it's the same amount of pages, the exact yeah. same star charts. Yeah. Well, those star charts, you know, the way, I don't know if you know the history on that and I could be completely wrong here because I'm, I'm just I'm interested in this stuff. But I believe the story behind that is that people at Sky and Telescope are actually taking, you know, the old paper editions of Sky Atlas 2000. I have a couple copies of those around the house here. You probably do too. Yep. And uh, they were cutting those up and getting them rebound or putting them in like binders. And apparently that was kind of the thing to do around S&T. Um, and so, uh, eventually somebody got the bright idea that, that they should just kind of re redo it in this sort of smaller format. Um, but they shrank it down and by doing so, I think that's where you got that issue with the scaling. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, there's also, I don't know if you remember, um, the, the old triatlas. Um, oh, yeah. so I there's a number, there, yeah, there's a few free, uh, Sky Atlas is available on the internet. You can download PDFs and print them out and put them in a binder and away you go. Um, one of the better ones was the Tri-Atlas. I, I don't think it's available anymore. I think they shut that project down. Mm. Um, but there was three versions of it and you know it just depended on what magnitude you wanted and you could download the charts and away you went. Yep. But um, I don't know if you know of any current free ones. I, you know, I'm not well versed in it, but I, I did want to throw out that if somebody is interested in a pocket at or some kind of atlas to take, you know, out under a night sky, uh, you don't, you don't want to take your tablet or your phone. No. Um, because of the brightness. Um, it'll ruin your night vision. And it, it might also probably, ruin the tablet. <laughs> well, that too, right? With, with the moisture. So I know a lot of these apps have like a red kind of night sky button. Um, but it's still too bright. It'll still ruin your night vision. Um, so stay away from those. Get something that you can 
get something that is paper that you can shine a, a dim red flashlight on. Um, but anyway, with that, you know, aside, I just wanted to mention that there are a number of free PDFs out there. Um, so again, I don't know if you know of any current ones that are free downloadable ones that are. No, like, you know, when the pocket Atlas came out and then with interstellarum, I think, I think that really has, has you covered for, for pretty, pretty much everything um, with urinometry filling into the higher end. And then anything beyond that, you're going to want to get something like a sky tools or, or something to, to that effect to, uh, you know, be able to, to go to those, uh, you know, unseemly very deep depths. I think there's, there was Magstar five around as well, but, you know, trying to use a computer, you know, at the telescope is, uh, it, it's just an exercise in, in frustration, at least in my experience anyway. And then like, it's so difficult, like you're never going to be able to take that right to the eyepiece versus like a chart. You can kind of, you know, at least kind of mess around or somebody could even hold it and you could look and, you know, we've kind of all done that a few times. Like there, it's a little bit more flexible versus like no one's ever going to hold your computer and it, it's, you're not, just not going to take that up on a ladder too whenever you get to a big telescope and that's just not going to work. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I, <clears throat> excuse me, that I kind of liked about some of the free ones is, uh, if you wanted to mark up one of the charts, you know, add some drawings or arrows to objects you wanted to observe, you know, you could do that and then just print it off afterwards, you know, to, to refresh it. So it wasn't marked up. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you could do that, I suppose. Um, and people do like, it's, it's kind of neat to get it to, to take a look at people's atlases when they, when they do that. So that's not without its charm. I often thought of taking like a permanent marker to mine. Um, but uh, one thing I'll do is like to just take a sticky note you know, stick that in there and then put an arrow and, you know, like yeah, that, yeah. that's sort of like part of it. Um, but yeah, that works. That works pretty good as well. So, so yeah. Hmm. Very cool. All right. Well, that was a good talk on unplanned talk on star atlases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, they're essential. If anybody wants to look at the night sky, you need a star atlas to know where the objects are. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a, a little thing called star hopping that we use to find these objects. Maybe we'll talk about that on a future podcast, yeah. but essentially that's kind of part two of this. You, you find the object on the Atlas and then you star hop from bright objects to find the dim ones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you this, that when I, we, we were looking for a bedroom set and had all these books around and it's, I have a lot of atlases, which I quite like. And, um, we uh, we went out shopping and you know we discussed that maybe what we need is is a a better you know shelf system for taking care of our our books and I had all these atlases just like lying around in places in the house and so I had them come in and put in a custom bookshelf and had them build a chart drawer in it based on based on the size of my astronomy charts so they just they just fit like Sky Atlas uh, 2000 just fits in there but I have my two copies in there my copy of Atlas of the Heavens, my Urinometria, my photographic Atlas of the Night Sky, I have my um, Interstellarums, you know, <laughs> all that stuff is just like in one drawer. So um, it was always such a hassle when I'm going observing and I, oh, I want this Atlas. Now where did I leave that lying around the house? Like, and these are, you know, often the most expensive texts that we have. And now I just go, okay, I'll just like open the drawer and grab the one that I need and then off to the races, so to speak. So 
that, that is one thing to keep in mind. These things are not small. The Pocket Atlas, though, really small, really handy. If people are beginners, they should go buy a copy of the Pocket Atlas from Sky and Telescope. I think that's the best one. Agreed. All right. So well, thanks, Chris. Yeah. So we'll call that uh, a podcast, and then we'll we'll do the next one on the uh, on the logging and yeah. 